Hello, and welcome to the Solar Panel Podcast, where our goal is to have a casual discussion with a new guest about a pertinent solar topic of today. I'm Nick Korth, and my co-host is Jeff Spees. Hello, everybody. And we are here to be your guide as we bring experts in from every management level and every angle of the solar industry to do a deep but entertaining dive into topics that are shaping the solar industry today. Our goal is to redefine how you look at a panel discussion like more of a happy hour conversation as we bring together our solar friends and experts from all backgrounds. So grab your favorite solar power drink as we help you stay up to speed on the solar topics moving the market today. Hello and welcome to the solar panel. Our guest today is Mark Baldessari, who has been with Enphase Energy for 16 years, with where he holds the position of Director Codes and Standards. Currently, he actively participates in a number of Codes and Standards development groups, both internationally and domestically. Mark has a bachelor's degree in electrical and electronic engineering from California State University in Sacramento. How are you doing today, Mark? Hey, I'm doing great. Uh, thanks, Nick and Jeff, for having me on your show. Well, uh, Mark, I've known you for a long time. We work together regularly, and I feel that you're probably one of the best spokesperson for the industry to try to explain to the listening audience that, uh, you know, energy storage systems, when properly tested, enlisted, and in- designed and installed, can be a very safe addition to a home energy system. And what we wanted to talk a little bit about today is some of the recent discussions that have occurred in the safety community and general population and within the solar and storage sector about how we should be approaching safety for energy storage systems. So I'm just wonderfully glad that you're able to participate because I recognize you as probably one of the more knowledgeable code experts, uh, subject matter experts in our industry and one of the most engaged in the development and understanding of codes and standards. So thanks for participating today. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah, you bring up a good point about the codes. Yeah, we have there's a there's a lot of good a lot of good standards um, out there for safety, um, you know. And I, I know we want to talk about uh, ESS today, and you know, in particular, we have uh, two standards that are used to evaluate um, energy storage systems. That and these are the the most dominant of the standards. There's other standards for modules and cells and things like that, but. Um, those are the ones where, you know, kind of the rubber meets the road. And, um, you know, and, and it is, it is, and, it, and this is an evolving technology too. ESS is, is new. It's new to the world, really. I mean, we've done energy storage with lead acid batteries for decades, but getting into lithium ion batteries and the proliferation of, of energy storage in the residential community and commercial community is, is really the expanding technology and new products are coming out, new ideas are coming out, trying to make them lower cost, denser, more efficient. Um, this is where technology is innovating and it's tough for the standards to keep up. Um, we do have, there's there are some really good standards, 9540 for safety, 9548 for large scale fire uh, evaluation. Um, and um, th- those those standards are going to evolve as new technologies come into the into the play. Um, um, predominantly, batteries are lithium ion, but there's zinc technologies and and uh, sodium technologies and 
and uh, other things solid, like solid state lithium it seems to be that next hopeful technology that's going to solve right. a lot of the safety concerns and boost storage capacity. Right. So, and, and the standards have to evolve with that um, because, you know, maybe the standard that's written today doesn't um, address a sodium ion battery well enough or a solid state lithium battery or something like that. So or, they, or, or flow batteries for that matter, which use a fluid that's pumped flow. through a, a, an ion exchanger to get the electricity out of the fluid, essentially. So there's a lot of innovation that I anticipate will come in the coming years. But in fairness, lithium ion seems to be the dominant technology, at least for the next five to 10 years. Would you not agree? Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a lot of development going on, but it takes time for that to get into the marketplace and you know, to get the manufacturing down and, uh, you know, and get it into designs. And then, and then you, you're going to have, you know, right, right now, 9540A covers any kind of energy storage. It could be mechanical. It could be uh, um, chemical. It could, you know, like lithium ion batteries or chemical, you know, uh, something else. I mean, we, it, it's really general. It doesn't try to, to dictate what type of um, battery technology is being used. You, you know, it's an interesting topic. And sometimes you just assume you understand the core meaning of a word. But when I, years back, started to take a greater interest in battery technology, probably because my work in the solar industry, uh, I, I looked up the definition of the word battery. And battery technically is intended to imply a, an electrochemical cell and the premise, the term battery is that you're taking multiple cells and wiring them in series and maybe series parallel to get more power out of an individual unit. So that was the basic concept of batteries as an electrochemical energy storage. However, to your point, energy storage doesn't just say battery. That's how we use that battery energy storage to clarify when it's electrochemical. If it's something like gravity storage, and there's some interesting projects, I think they're cost impractical, but I've seen one where they drag this heavy train up the tracks during the day with the power and then they take it downhill at night to generate or something like, you know, crazy stuff like that. Uh, there's that big company that was making those, that big tower, like a, like a high rise to just lifted up big concrete blocks. Right. 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 And, and, um, uh, you know, the, the hydro, uh, uh, storage, you know, where you pump, pumped hydro, you pump it up into a reservoir up higher up in the mountain when the, you have excess power and then let it, uh, you know, flow back down through generators. I mean, so energy storage has been around for a long time. Um, but anyway, so the standards need to evolve. And as we have new technologies, maybe the, the standards need to split out um, to address them better. And I think that's one of the problems with 9540A today is that it tries to cover too much ground. All at once. And for clarity, that's the, the yeah. fire testing that fire is part testing. of the 9540 standard. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, these numbers um, um, are pretty familiar to me, and I know that it gets confusing to everybody. And it's too bad they didn't, you know, choose a slightly different number between the safety standard and then the evaluation for fire testing. Yeah. But to clarify, there's a single technical committee that you and I both serve on that does develop the language for the standard. And as we speak, we're in the midst of a significant proposal with 28 proposals that are being voted on and likely will be 
discussed in at, at excess here in the coming year to try to get a new version of the fire mm-hmm. test where a lot of these uncertainties and having been part of the observing all of the discussion that's taken place to date as it relates to the development of this language, it's insanely complex, Mark. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, so 20, 28 proposals seems like a lot to be considering under one code cycle for changes. I mean, what are some of the hotbed topics that you guys are going into or what are what are the highly discussed ones? Here's a yeah. challenge. Compo- yeah. Proposals that compete against one another. Yeah, compete against one another. And, and there's like subtopics within them. So, I mean, it's difficult to try to weed through that all and decide what, you know, what, what is salvageable out of this proposal and what needs to go. Um, so it's going to take a while to sort it out. I think that with the, the balloting ended on Friday and this is going to be one of the rounds. And then the, the I think the proposal is going to have to be restructured and things will have to be consolidated. You know, the good parts consolidated, the bad parts stripped away. But um, you were asking about what are some of the more contentious ones and there's um, um, the 9548 goes through three levels well four levels of testing but for most residential systems it's three so we test at the cell level we want to see does the does the cell go into thermal runaway if it does then you got to progress to the next uh, the next level a module and there you take the individual cells and you pack them together uh, to make your module. Yes. Mark, how many mo- cells would be in a typical module? Well, you know, it depends on the size of the cell. Um, um, there are some larger cells that might be a whole, might be a hundred amp hours. So maybe you only have a dozen of those or something or, or two dozen. Uh, or you could have some smaller cells like, um, uh, there's a, there's a, there's one that's this sized about, you know, like a like a, a extra large double A battery, which is called a sixteen eight fifty, and that one, um, you know, you could have hundreds or thousands in a in a module or in a unit. Maybe the modules are divided up into smaller organizations, but you have many, 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 many of those. And just for perspective, let's say the Tesla automobile or uh, some of the other electric vehicles on the road. How many of these individual cells would be in one of these electric vehicles people drive today? Well, I, I don't know an exact number, but thousands, thousands okay. of them in there. Um, and how, how many cells would be in a typical end phase five kilowatt hour battery today? Yeah, so we use a, we use a, a different cell. It's a larger capacity cell. So there's there's a couple dozen in there. Yeah, a couple dozen. You said? Yeah, about twenty four. I think it is. Okay. Okay. And so we so yours you've got the cell level test where the cells abused to mm-hmm. the n nth degree. And then you've got this uh, uh, unit level test or um, module module level test. Sorry, where, where you would have how many cells in a module? So there's that would be uh, all our cells go into a module. So it's uh, we have a single module in our unit. Got so it. it'd be all 24 of those cells would go in there. And that's um, five kilowatt hours of energy in that single yeah. box. Okay. Yeah, for the the newest one, um, our newest product, the uh, 5P. Um, so that's, uh, yeah, that's five kilowatt hours. And so, and then, uh, so you do the, you do the cell level test. Does the cell go into thermal runaway? Does it emit, um, hazardous gases, which is true for any lithium ion chemistry, whether it be LFP, NMC, you name it, any of these lithium ion 
technologies are going to are going to fail the cell test, which is okay. You go to the module level test, and then you have criteria. Now, for now, that. now, when you say failed the cell test, I think we should clarify that oh. failing it doesn't mean that it's an inherently unsafe product. What they're doing is they're yeah. abusing the cell to get it to do bad things because they have to take it to failure. So when you say fa it, it, there's this holy grail, no product, no lithium battery products has ever achieved that and there's the potential of quote unquote passing the cell level test where you can't be forced into thermal runaway, no matter how badly you abuse it, putting a nail through it, uh, overheating it to the nth degree and it won't go into thermal runaway. But to the date, there's no battery that we know of that's capable of performing that way is uh, in in the lithium that, realm that's true there's no one can pass that performance criteria um, that's the way it's actually worded it's performance and, criteria. and again it doesn't make the battery unsafe we have lithium batteries in our laptop computers we have lithium battery i think uh in in, in a recent uh presentation I saw, there was a fire official who said, go around your house and count up how many lithium batteries you have around your house. He had, he figured four dozen different lithium batteries. I thought yeah. about it for myself and, you know, I've got them, my, I got powered shears because my hands are old and I'm, I like to garden and, and those powered shears take two lithium batteries. I've got a little four inch chainsaw that I use for doing cleanup work, landscaping around my house. Yeah, that's another two batteries. And you start to look at it and goodness gracious, I probably have I probably have more than that fire official. I probably have a hundred lithium batteries scattered <laughs> around my house. Yeah. I mean, yeah, a lot of flashlights now have lithium batteries. They're rechargeable. They're all over. And we've had some problems with lithium batteries. I mean, let's face it. They're not, they, they are volatile. They can, um, you can rupture the, um, the separator between the anode and cathode. You can cause a lot of heat and current to flow and you can have problems. I mean, we've had, Remember when uh, Samsung had the um, the note? I mean, they were catching on fire on people's desks. And then was it uh, 787 jets, 777 jets were having lithium fires on the plane? And and, and what I found interesting is they had developed a protocol. If one of those mobile phones or anything they were allowed to carry on a plane, because you all have to carry those lithium batteries now inside the carry-on luggage, if one of those goes in the thermal runaway, they've been trained to have a bucket of water and just immerse it, and it seems to take care of the problem. Yeah, I mean, water is a good thing to put out lithium fires. You think, well, lithium is a really reactive chemical and or you know molecule, and will 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 cause problems with water. But um, water is the best thing to put on on a lithium issue. Uh, it cools it off, and cooling it is the important thing. Get it cool, or get it cool, get stop the thermal runaway, and that's that's your best bet um, to slow it down. But the, the lithium, um, it's a lithium ion, so it's a the molecule is tied up with other other molecules, so it's not reactive to directly reactive with water like like what you see in the science class when the, you know the instructor put, puts a piece of lithium into a bucket of water and it just you know gets very explosive but so that doesn't happen with lithium so the best thing to do is to hit it with water cool it down get it cooler stop the reaction um, and then move on and in fact we've seen that where there have been some uh, lithium battery fires where that when you could put water on them it seems to be the best control mechanism at the recent uh, UL Fire Research Safety Institute lithium battery symposium back in March of 2023 in Maryland they did acknowledge uh, that the one control technique that seems to be 
reported to have the best success mm -hmm. is hitting it with water. Now, I know there's still some lingering questions to, uh, in the way that might be done with certain energy storage systems, but having worked extensively in the residential energy storage sector, my sense is that if you're getting one of the listed energy storage systems from one of the major manufacturers, the likelihood of a, a, a problem, I would argue, is going to be very low as long as that energy storage system is properly designed and installed. I know those are two big ifs. You've got to do it right. And, and I spend my days working regularly with lots of different contractors, and I see that a lot of folks don't do it right. Uh, I try to avoid working with contractors that don't want to go about it the correct way because in my experience, I've seen this end very poorly for a lot of those folks. And if you don't follow the regulations for using 9540 listed systems and something bad goes wrong, as a contractor, you're at a risk of tremendous liability. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the technology is advancing and, um, you know, uh, I think every manufacturer wants to design a safer battery. So we're going through a lot of testing um, to uh, to do that, um, to, to make sure that the designs are going to be safe and um, uh, and, and protect the, the homeowner and, and life and property. I mean, no one wants to have lawsuits. Um, so there's a lot of effort that goes into designing the battery and trying to improve it. I mean, I, I know from Enphase's point of view, and I'm, I'm sure this is other manufacturers too, that we go through... We do the we do the safety testing, yes, and we get our certificate or we get our report, and you know you think we're done, but oh no, there's a lot more testing that's done prior to going to the lab. Um, we want to make sure when we go to the lab to get the certification or the report, we want to pass it because it's very expensive to do a 9540A test. You know, you're looking and at you're, you're probably talking hundreds of thousands of dollars in terms of your staff and the price you have to oh pay gosh. to get the testing. Yeah, I mean, and the lab fees, and the shipping, and the prep fees. I mean, to prep up a, a unit to go into the 9548 testing, we have to actually manufacture a special module that has the thermocouples embedded in it between the different cells. Because that's what thing you want to monitor when you're doing the test. You, this, how do you know it goes into thermal runaway? Well, you watch temperature. You monitor the temperature. And Mark, how do they actually, when you're do, going through that test where you've got this specially made battery with all the thermal couples that you're hanging on the wall and covering with cheesecloth to, you know, the cheesecloth is like the ultimate way of knowing if there's any kind of a heat event or thermal event. But uh, right. when you do that, how do they actually force the cells in these uh, units in the module into thermal runaway? Yeah, so the, the standard allows for multiple ways of doing it, but the most common way is to put a heater. So it, a heater is a, a thin um, um, heat blanket. Uh, you know, it's like mylar, and it has, this, you know, a resistive wire that runs through it, and it's hooked up to a power supply. So that that's a heater. If you put power into this heater, it gets hot. And then that heat transfers to the battery. So we take one of the cells and we wrap it up with one of these heaters uh, and then hook it up to a power supply. And the standard says, well, you should, the temperature should rise at a certain rate. I think it's seven degrees C per, per minute. Uh, and you, you watch it rising over time. And it'll get to a point that a lot of, a lot of batteries, first they will vent 
they vent off gas, so they, they build up a lot of pressure inside, and they're, they have weaknesses built into the battery to vent to relieve the pressure. So you don't that want would be an engineered vent system for each cell. Engineered vent, right. So, and usually that's, you know, for the lithium batteries that Enphase uses, it's, you know, it's a, it's a, I don't know, somewhere between 120, 150 degrees Celsius uh, where it starts venting. But you continue to heat it. It still hasn't gone into thermal runaway. So thermal runaway happens when the, the barrier between the anode and the cathode is ruptured. So you heat it up some more. You get it up, you get it up to, I don't know, 200, 220 degrees Celsius, and that will rupture the separator. Either it melts it or something. I, I don't know. Something happens inside. I think a lot of it's melting. And, and then you get a, a rush. All the energy of that battery is now released very, very quickly. And now the temperature, it's rising at a pretty even pace. When it goes into thermal runaway, boom, now the temperature rises in hundreds of and degrees. And that's on a single cell, just to cell. clarify, yes. Single cell. You're forcing it. You've turned off all your safety mechanisms that are within the battery. Because in a working unit, one that's turned on and working, you actually have monitoring of the cells and the voltages. And you can, if you have a problem, you shut it down. You don't want it to go into thermal runaway. And here's 9540A is forcing it. You turn all the safeties off. It can't be powered on. It just it's sitting there, you know, the the lamb for slaughter, <laughs> if you will. You're trying to uh, kill this thing and force it into a, uh, a you know a, a catastrophic failure. And and so so that that happens. Eventually, you heat it up enough that thermal runaway occurs, and then you stop heating it because now. It's kind of an exothermic reaction, and it the heat just rises on its own, you know. Yeah, so I guess I don't know much about batteries, um, and my question lies in that prevention, right? So if we know it gets at a temperature of 200 C is when we could start to see the potential for thermal uh, runaway to happen, you know, the sensors, or is there some kind of prevention tool that can be used within that process? Interesting question, a deep and complex uh, topic, I'll call it. The question's a sensible one, and indeed, there are mechanisms that exist. The beauty is that these thermocouples that are naturally found in these batteries when they're made are sensing for heat that's above the norm, and it will shut the system down. Right, Mark? Yeah, yeah. I mean... And, and the, you know, it would be nice if you could put, you know, a plethora of thermocouples all throughout the module so you can, I mean, imagine imagine a battery pack that's got a thousand cells in it. You can't put a thousand thermocouples in there. Because each just, one would need its own set of conductors going back to the yeah, controller. <laughs> you need something to monitor it and read it. And I mean, it's just an impractical situation. So what do you do? You put one in every... Five. Um, again, if you have a thousand cells, then uh, you need 200 of these. So it's really difficult to try to do that. But you do monitor temperature and you do look at voltages and you look at, you know, currents and things. And you can you can from from looking at those kinds of parameters, you can sense that you've got some problems developing potentially if you do have a problem. I mean. These things don't have problems most of the time, <laughs> but you know what? There's a lot of batteries out there, and and the technology is evolving, and things are getting better, and 
there have been issues. I mean, look at what's going on in New York uh, with all the hoverboards and scooters and things like that. They have a, they have, they're having fires every day. Um, but the, the PV and the energy storage industry is taking a much better approach to this. Uh, they're looking at their, they're using higher quality components. There's the, the battery management systems are very sophisticated in these systems where they're not sophisticated at all. And it's, it's a cheap add-on to a lot of, you know, e-bikes and things like that. The battery management right. system, that's where you can save some money. But, I mean, I think a, a legitimate manufacturer today is going to say, no, man, this is, this is safety. Safety is primary, number one. So we're we're not gonna we're not gonna we'll try to reduce costs where we can, but um, you know it's got to work. It's got to function correctly, and it's got to detect, detect issues and deal with it. That's the most the primary concern. Well, in this this all just it seems very complex, right? So you know, obviously, as end phase, you guys are a manufacturer, and you need to keep your costs at a sustainable level to sell a product that um, you're trying to get your um value for or selling it at the most revenue that you can for shareholders and things um but then there also is the the large safety aspect of it and yeah it just seems like a large convergence of a lot of different really interesting factors um right um and so just to to clarify the 9540 and the 9548 are those both UL um, standards or where is that standard falling under? Yeah, so so UL 9540 is the standard that is legally required by the 2018 and later International Fire and Residential Codes and Building Code for that matter now uh, in, in anywhere that uses the I codes. Not every part of the country currently uses the International Fire and Residential and Building Codes. For example, Florida, Hawaii, and Massachusetts are in, on NFPA 1, which is a separate code which requires that you comply with NFPA 855 for energy storage systems. So this does get a bit complicated, but California is on the I codes. Arizona is on the I codes. Most states that seem to be active with batteries today are on the I codes. So the I code is where the folks like Mark and I spend a lot of our time in discussion trying to figure out how to make the code language sensible and also importantly, how to make the standard, which then sets all the rules for safety that Merck and Enphase have to comply with. The That 9540 is the standard for overall safety for the battery. 9540A, I look at it as a subset of 9540. It's got the same technical committee. Mark and I make decisions both on 9540, the overall standard, and 9540A, the fire test that is, that is a safety test. But as time goes on, Mark, correct me if I'm wrong, I see 9540A the, I, I see the lines between 9540 and 9540A blurring as time goes ahead. Yeah, well, um, 9540, of course, is a safety standard. So that's looking at the product safety. And that's like anything you pick up nowadays. Um, you know, you look at the power supply your laptop's plugged into. It's got a – most likely has a UL sticker on it or ETL or somebody. But those are safety standards. Like, um, you know, am I going to get shocked by this? Is it going to, you know um, – if there was a short circuit, is it going to catch on fire? Um, you know, what, uh, what, how does it behave under fault conditions? And does it get too hot um, to touch um, these kinds of things? Uh, are there sharp edges on it? Uh, can you poke your finger in there and, and get shocked? 
Um, those are all the things that a safety standard kind of looks at. And what is the temperature range of it? You know, can you can you use this outside in the in Phoenix, Arizona, on a sunny day, or is is it going to work up in Alaska? You know, I mean, what are the the cold and high temperature ranges? Those things. That's what a safety standard is really concerned with. And is it going to be safe? You know. Yeah, the safety standards don't care if it works. It just cares if it has any shock or fired or, as you mentioned, you don't want the case to be so sharp that you might cut your hand. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and and part of the testing, you put it in an overload condition, and if the the thing, you know, blows a fuse and stops working, that's okay. It passed the test. It, It was in this overload condition, and it failed in a safe or a controlled fashion. Uh, and you know, so it's, it's not out of control that's going to cause you problems. So that's what the safety standard does. The, the 9540A, of course, is an evaluation. What happens to this thing if we put it into a catastrophic failure mode? What's it going to do? Um, and, but do you think electric drill, you mentioned there's, you got 40 of these lithium batteries in your house. Do they I go? Probably got, I probably got a hundred, literally. Yeah, a hundred. I mean, does your does your Makita drill go through a ninety five forty eight test under some weird condition? No, I mean that thing could 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 burst into flames, and there's no control, and and there's no evaluation of this thing. And you are able to buy regularly today on Amazon.com batteries that have zero testing, zero listing, lithium rechargeable batteries today. Uh, it's prevalent throughout the U.S. This is people are doing this day in day out now. In my estimation, the home energy storage systems like the Enphase IQ battery is probably one of the least likely to go into thermal runaway because it's been constructed in a manner where, if for any reason a problem ever did occur, the ramp the battery would just shut down. It wouldn't even get yeah. to that point. It would have a fault condition. And there are other safety measurements or measures that we take uh, in the codes, Nick, sizing of the overall battery system. There's size limits for residential. There's spacing requirements. There's siting, where where you can put a battery, where you can't put it. It's got to be away three foot from doors or windows that directly enter the dwelling. And if it's located in a garage that's attached to the house, you have to have some type of fire detection system to warn the inhabitants, which is one of the more thorny challenges because the code language, unfortunately, mandated a product that still to this day doesn't quite exist. We're close. We're very close, but it's it, it has be- caused us some problems. But I'm confident that five or 10 years down the road, the codes and the standards will come more into alignment with standard practices in the U.S. In my opinion, the biggest problem is people are massively violating the rules today. We see people that are buying Alibaba batteries, putting them on their homes, no safety measures. I talked to one of the biggest billing departments in Texas two weeks ago, and they said, Oh, I guess after he, I explained all how the code works, I guess, I guess we should start looking for this. We just approve all of these. Wow. With, with, and they, yeah. don't, they don't understand any of the fundamentals on sizing, siding, yeah. separation, fire detection, vehicle impact protection, zero yeah. oversight. Well, there's you bring up a good point. Um, there are a lot of um, systems out there that aren't adequately tested or designed, I, I, in my opinion. Um, there was a there's an article about um, I think it was in Germany uh, a house where they had um, this gentleman who was an installer I think um, he went and bought some batteries from Alibaba he even said that in the article and he, he, uh, he put it put it into a basement and 
that thing failed and, um, you know, it outgassed a, a lot of flammable gases and uh, it was in a basement. So maybe there was another ignition source from um, hot water heater or something. And uh, boom, it blew off the side of the house. I mean, it formed its own little bomb. I um, saw the video and yeah. I just want to emphasize that everything he did was wrong from day one. So I, I think that, that had he followed the codes that we had here in the U.S., none of this would have happened. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so you got to be careful. And, and you know, and there will be failures. I mean, this is an emerging technology, and um, and products are getting better. I, I can tell you from Enphase's point of view, every product, every generation is better than the last one, and that will continue. And I will, I'm compelled to say, as I speak, I'm in my home office, which is a bedroom here directly and occasionally i've slept here guests have slept here when they're coming to visit immediately below is two vehicles parked with up to 40 gallons of gas in the tanks and i would say that the significant majority of people that have two-story homes with bedrooms over the top of garage sleep like a baby and don't fully grasp that they've got 40 gallons and two tanks of automobiles under their bedroom so, mm -hmm. yes, is there a danger? Absolutely. Yeah. There's a danger in 40 gallons of gas in my garage. And yeah. I ask people all the time, think of energy storage systems like cans of gas. How many cans of gas before you want something that's a really good rack to hold them that's going to prevent any flames from getting to it and prevent anybody from smashing into it? That's the way you want to think of the battery system. So there's yeah, safe exactly. ways you can do this. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and look, technology has evolved, right? Think, take a, think about the turn of the century or the 1900s. I mean, you had gasoline-powered vehicles. I mean, they probably developed leaks, and they probably leak gas all over the floor and burst into flames, you know. And things they, they still do that today, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and you know, and here you have this, uh, you know, maybe twenty kilowatt hours worth of battery in a garage parked right next to uh, an EV that's got seventy kilowatt hours or more, you know, uh, battery storage, and what kind of restrictions are on that vehicle and it's being charged and there it is well we you only know? have a, a few minutes remaining before we have to uh, unfortunately end our discussion with mark which i found to be really the reason i wanted mark on is because mark and i have conversations like this regularly and every time i'm talking with him i'm like we should have a microphone recording these conversations and that's <laughs> what, it, feel, it feels like i could go another hour with you mark but i do want to just hit the core reason that prompted me to first bring you into this discussion, which is that back in March at the Fire Research Safety Institute Lithium Battery Symposium conducted by UL, uh, they failed to mention that there is a standard for home energy storage systems. In essence, the way I perceived it is they highlighted all the prospective dangers that can come from lithium batteries that was focused predominantly on batteries that are running around, an e-bike battery, scooter battery, uh, EVs, and these batteries get shaken up all over the road and abused, and they're out in temperature, and they're out in weather. Oftentimes, they're bought illegally off, well, illegally is a harsh word, but essentially, they're buying cheap, unlisted batteries from Alibaba, and then matching them with chargers that weren't suited to these batteries, and gee whiz, fires happen. We understand that. But energy storage systems, I sense, are among the most heavily tested products for safety if it's done right by the, the proper labs using proper tests and certifications, 
These batteries are highly evaluated, and when designed and installed safely, I think that they can be very safe. And I think that message has not gotten out to the general public effectively enough, yeah. including in UL's own event. It was a standard UL developed, and UL's own event failed to even mention the standard that they had spent years, and probably when you look at all the subject matter experts, and if you valued their time, this is a process that's probably spending hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars to develop, and it caused me great concern that we had this this uh, symposium on lithium battery safety and they didn't utter the name of the standard that is the most significant development to give safety. So I think that we in the industry need to educate others to communicate to the end customer that there are significant safety standards that involve a lot of testing. I, I've got some of the uh, images of the test equipment. It's significant. And we will be getting that put out in some SEAC materials. The Sustainable Energy Action Committee has been developing white papers to try to explain how this works. And I think Mark's participation has been very helpful in these documents that CX has been creating to help communicate to the world that we've got significant safety considerations for batteries yeah. that need to be understood. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, um, you know, the energy storage systems that are out there today have just been tested and tested and tested again. And, you know, you know, there's there's a lot of effort to uh, to reduce thermal runaway and the reduced cell-to-cell -cell propagation and the batteries of today the systems of today are much better than the ones in the past and it's that's just going to continue i mean this is the way technology evolves and we're in we're in the infancy of energy storage systems really um i mean obviously you know i mentioned there's been plenty of this decades ago but today with the proliferation of it um it's just, it's taking off, technology's advancing, and, and they're getting safer and safer all the time. Mark, you know, I, it seems, you know, Enphase has always been on the cutting edge of, of leading the industry into, you know, new phases, right? And it looks like you guys have a little bit different infrastructure or uh, structure of how you've designed your battery system. Can you go into a little bit of detail about yeah. what that is? Well, Enphase is a microinverter company where we started from, so we like things small. So we take a look at it more of a, you know, putting together smaller pieces uh, to create larger ones. So, you know, like we have a, a five kilowatt hour battery, or look at the the ten the the IQ battery ten T, which is the predecessor. It had three three T batteries in it. So three smaller batteries went into the ten T to make it. The five P is now a bigger chunk, but um, uh, it, it, but to get to a 20 kilowatt system, you need four of those. Um, you know, you just keep adding them, and I and I think you're going to see that same kind of strategy moving forward with Enphase to look at, you know, how to segment it down into smaller chunks, which also makes it safer all around, because if you can uh, if you have a smaller module, then you're going to have less energy in that. So if there is a failure, it's not going to cause as much of a problem, as long as you can keep it from propagating from module to module and from unit to unit, which is a much easier task to do. When it when the cells are packed next to each other, it's hard to stop them from reacting one to the other. But there are mitigation strategies. So I think you're going to see that from Enphase is, um, you know, modularity, looking at it as in the smaller chunks and, and adding them together to, to create a larger system. And I'm assuming you guys are doing a lot of training with your 
distributors and your customers um, when you talk about, you know, a lot of this discussion has been around standards um, and then actually executing that into customers installing these products and say following the codes. I'm assuming you're doing a lot of engagement in that area. And, and I attend Enphase Train. They are, I'll just say that uh, we need the industry as a whole to develop more comprehensive training at a high level. And there is that effort underway through the Sustainable Energy Action Committee. Uh, in recent weeks, we've developed new documents that help address energy storage system uh, ready construction, the difference between MIDs, transfer switches. We're in the process of developing a document as we speak on how the fire testing works, complete with photographs of of testing equipment so people have a better appreciation that this is not just a rubber stamp. You have to go through months, if not years, of testing and product development to get products that are safe to pass the test. Yeah, the, the, uh, what the testing is, is a big part, um, and safety is a big concern. I mean, I, I think that that's where you're going to see the innovation and make it safer and safer every every generation. Well, I've only got three minutes before we have to end today's discussion, Mark. I just want to thank you, first of all, for all the excellent quality work that you've done to, for the industry, quite honestly, not just for Enphase, but for the industry and in helping us get the codes and standards moving forward in a more productive way. And I just have to compliment Enphase for having their commitment to the development of codes and standards and also uh, being one of those technical people that has to read all of your documentation and solve problems. I just want to commend Enphase for having really good overall tech support. They answer the phone with people that seem to be able to answer the questions. And if they can't, they seem to be able to get the research so they can answer the questions. So Enphase is a standout, yeah. in my opinion, in that regard. Well, give them five stars when you talk to the guys. I mean, we, we look at those numbers all the time. Um, it comes up in the monthly operational reviews. You guys are fantastic. I can't say enough good about the tech support of Enphase. And, uh, and for that reason, you know, I see, I see a high degree of loyalty amongst contractors we work with for your product because if there's an issue, if Enphase won't fix it, nobody can fix it. So I, I think you guys do a fantastic job. I appreciate that very much. Those are very good words. I, I, you know, we try to put a lot of effort into it. And uh, like I say, the, um, the, the, the certification is the low bar of testing at Enphase. There's a lot that goes on in the background and life testing and everything else to, uh, you know, long-term reliability and, you know, accelerated life test and all these things that aren't part of the standards. They're part of the Enphase standard, if you will, and it has to pass that before it can go out the door. And on that note, I think we'll end today's discussion. Thank you, Mark, for participating. I think we'll want you back. So uh, we'll look at uh, when we get done with this uh, change of proposals for 9548, maybe we can have you back so you can give us your analysis of what the new edition of 9548 might look like. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you, Jeff and Nick. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Mark. Yeah, this was super insightful for me as well. So appreciate your time. 